Hey there, Marcus here. It is my joy and privilege to serve as pastor here at Awaken Church in Juneau, Alaska. I pray that in the next few moments, the, the word of God proclaimed is a blessing to you and is nourishing to your soul. But we believe here at Awaken that one of the ordinary means of God's grace in our life is the gathering of the people of God. We believe that it's in the gathering that, that we're known and that we know one another. That it's in the gathering that, that we are shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you this Sunday to come and join us. Come and worship with us. But for now, I pray that you're encouraged by this sermon. God bless. Well, Lord, I, I um, ask uh, now for your help this morning as we... Uh, turn to your word and we look at uh, the joy of our salvation, the joy that we have as, as believers, as Christians. And uh, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand that the joy that we have is not some sort of superficial thing. It's not some sort of surface level happiness that can be taken away from us. But we, we long for uh, spirit-wrought, spirit-given joy. Uh, to be rooted deep in our souls, a joy that can't be taken away from us in this life. And uh, so would you help us this morning to see that and to understand a bit better what it is to experience the joy that we have received. And, and I ask uh, mostly this morning on this uh, Christmas gathering that we would uh, simply look at you together. Y you, are the, you are the source and you are the object of our joy. And so I pray that we would just simply see you, behold you, and marvel at you this morning. And so would you help us to do that? Help me now to communicate that. Help us all to have ears to hear uh, your truth and your word, we pray. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, it was uh, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He was a, a physician first, uh, a doctor to the Queen of England, and then he became a preacher. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was called a, a man on fire. Uh, theology on fire was kind of a tagline for him. But he said that we all desire to be happy. That there is something innate in the human nature. That nobody wants to be miserable. He goes on to say that He's aware of the fact that there are people who seem to enjoy being miserable and who somehow seem to find their happiness in being unhappy. And it's kind of a, a funny thing to think about, but what the doctor was saying was the fact that we as individuals do everything that we do for the sake of personal happiness and personal satisfaction. At the center of, of human behavior and human interactions and human pursuits is the desire uh, to be happy, to be filled with joy, to live lives that are, that are satisfying. Joy, in a sense, drives our behaviors. Everything from, you know, the thrill seekers that are climbing up mountains and, and jumping off the top of them to, uh, you know, people that are, are uh, working hard and, and building their businesses or in their jobs to parents who, who sacrifice uh, for the sake of their kids. All, all of those are, are different forms of, of us acting in order that we might experience personal happiness and, and personal satisfaction. 
Oftentimes, um, Christianity in itself is portrayed and it is mistakenly portrayed as a giving up of things that bring pleasure and bring happiness for the sake of, of uh, religious pursuit, uh, for religious goals. And Christians even, I think, sometimes mistakenly in, in our desire to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God, to, to live lives that honor God and, and to live lives that are obedient to his word, mistakenly assume that a holy life is a somber life. That to obey God is to, is to forego pleasure and joy and satisfaction and happiness. That somehow to be a follower of Christ is to forsake joy and, and to put it off until heaven, right? We, we mistakenly uh, use like, the words of the Apostle Paul or uh, of Peter and we talk about the suffering and the hardship of this life as, as if there's no joy to be found in it and we're just waiting until heaven. And there is an aspect uh, of which our, our joy in Christ will only be fully realized in the life to come. But does it really mean that there is no experience of the joy of our salvation and the joy uh, of Christ in this life today, now, for those of us who believe? Well, I think we wrongly interpret passages of Scripture like, 1 John chapter 2, when it says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And so we sometimes can interpret that to mean, okay, I will be miserable for the next 60, 70, or more years and do the will of God. And therefore, I will abide forever. I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, on, on this Christmas day, that we are not saved to replace the temporary pleasures of our sin with joyless obedience. We are not meant to forego temporary pleasure for lives that, that are miserable and downcast and just waiting. I want to remind you this morning that we are saved so that to the glory of God we would be satisfied with a superior pleasure and a superior joy in Christ that will last now into eternity future. It's the psalmist who writes in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the paths of life in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We've all met Christians who were grumpy about their salvation, right? Maybe 
that you would describe yourself like that. Maybe you wear it as a badge of honor and you take great pride in your sanctified grumpiness, your holy misery. But I put before you this morning the fact that the gospel of God, the gospel of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ is good news. And the recipients of that good news, which is us, by the way, if you've believed and trusted in Christ, we are recipients of the good news of the gospel. We are meant to be proclaimers of that good news, of that message of the gospel of God. And at the center of that message is good news of great joy. Great joy. Now, don't mistake me this morning Don't mistake what I'm saying. Don't hear me say silliness when I say joy. Don't hear me say lack of conviction, lack of seriousness about our walk with Christ when I say joy. Don't hear me say not fighting the good fight of the faith to put to death the the deeds of the flesh to war against our sin every single day of our lives when I say joy. Don't hear me say not holding one another accountable when I say joy. And certainly don't hear me say temporary emotion, right? Conjured up in religious gatherings by light and smoke and repetitive music when I say joy. Don't don't hear me say prosperity gospel when I say joy. Don't hear me say using the name of Christ and the gospel of God in an abusive way and making a mockery of the cross of Christ and using the gospel for worldly gain when I say joy. But the message that the prophets looked forward to and spoke about and anticipated and the news that the angels announced 2,000 years ago and the message that we are to proclaim is a message of good news, of great joy that will be for all the people. The basis of our joy, the grounding, the, the rooting of our joy is our hope in Christ that we've looked at together for the last three weeks The joy of our souls, it it finds its focal point. It's fixed on the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word that has been revealed to us and our hope of eternal life with him. That is the root of, of our joy. And our hope, which is the root of our joy, gives us confidence so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 18, he says, and I think this is helpful for us, especially this year, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts and knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not also graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is deep-rooted joy in the depth of one's soul that is produced by the Spirit, focused on Christ, focused on his word, Rooted in the gospel, it is a joy that was anticipated by the prophets, proclaimed by the angels, and is, or announced by the angels, and now proclaimed by us, by the church, now and forevermore. That is a joy that cannot be taken away because it is rooted in our hope that we have said for three weeks now is unshakable and unchanging and cannot either be taken away from us. 
This time of year around Christmas, we are inundated in our culture with temporary pleasures, temporary joys, temporary highs that fade very quickly. And in fact, most family gatherings are fake joy mixed with a lot of strife and awkwardness, right? But we pretend to be happy. We're together, right? Just eat your food. We're happy. But church, we, we got to press through that, don't we? We got to press through that temporal, fake, surface level joy. We got to get past that and understand more fully the lasting joy that we have in Christ. So that when we sing songs like joy to the world, the Lord has come. We're not, we're not singing joy to the Lord. We're singing joy, deep, rooting, everlasting joy has come into this broken world. Might be helpful if we divine joy. Let's take a moment to do that. When we talk about joy, you may have noticed that we're not talking about an experience, are we? We're not talking about a, a temporary type of joy. We're not talking about a, a, a cheap knockoff version that the world calls joy. I suppose that if we all had a mutual understanding of what we mean by joy, we could exchange joy with happiness. But I think it's wise to separate those words because happiness is, is something, it's an emotion that we feel. It's a chemical reaction in our brains that, that cause us to feel temporarily for, uh, for a time a, a certain way, but it can be gone just like that. Can't it? It can be gone with a phone call. It can be gone with, with news. It can be gone just because you woke up and just didn't feel it that morning, right? Or, or for some of you, it's been years, decades, since you woke up feeling happy. But when we talk about joy, we are talking about a joy that has longevity, that has its source, just like our hope, outside of us, and is not just in our minds, but is in our souls. Our Joy in Christ, the joy of our salvation is, is not just in our minds, it, it is in the immaterial person that we are. When, when we talk about biblical joy, joy in Christ, we, we're talking about the condition of our souls. The condition of our souls. It's what distinguishes us from animals in other parts of creation we we are made up you know this full well of mind body and soul right we agreed with that there is an immaterial part of us that will live forever we we long for a a new body in in which our souls will dwell forever even those who deny the fact that we have a, a soul, 
deny it because they know that we have one, right? If they didn't know that, they would feel no reason to deny it. When we talk about joy, we're talking about the state of our souls undergoing a transformation from death, lifelessness, to life and joy in Christ. So what that means, and we can talk about this further, is that it's not affected by the highs and lows of the happiness that we feel in our minds. It is a a deep-rooted joy in our souls that's not affected by the physical around us. Now, make no mistake, it it, it should, if if rightly understood, it it should flow eventually from our souls into our bodies and our minds. And that happens through the the process of, of sanctification, and time in God's word and his presence. But, but you all know very well, as I do, that, that there are people who just don't experience the feelings of happiness as much as others, but still can be joyful in Christ, right? I, I'm one of those types of people. I'm full of joy right now, by the way, even though I look pretty serious and I seem kind of angry about joy, <laughs> But what I'm trying to explain to you this morning is that there's a distinction between temporary happiness and and true abiding joy in Christ. It can't be taken away from us, even in the moments of our deepest sorrow. That's why the Apostle Paul says, "I, I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing why Paul can also say that we consider it pure joy when we endure trials of various kinds. How many of you have endured difficult trials and you just walked around with a big old smile on your face like, yes, right? That's not the kind of joy that we're talking about. Uh, The artists Shane and Shane wrote a song a number of years ago from Uh, from Job, and the chorus of the song goes, though you ruin me, yet I will praise you. That is deep, lasting joy. So how, how does that joy come about? How do we experience that joy? How do we, how do we get that joy? Well, perhaps the greatest thing about it is that it's not produced by us. It is rather produced in us by the Holy Spirit. You're familiar with the gifts of the Spirit that are listed out for us, primarily in Corinthians, and the first one on the list is what? Joy. Joy. Is it the first on the list? I didn't write it down, I'm sorry. On the list is the gift uh, of joy. It, it is the fruit of the Spirit. I said the gifts of the Spirit, I'm sorry. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the work of the Spirit in us. John Piper says that Christianity is a, 
a divine project of replacing inferior joys in inferior objects for superior joys in God himself. That's what God is doing in us. He is giving us superior joy in God, in Christ, that is rooted and fixed, as I said, in the hope of the gospel that we have received. And so this morning, I would just like us to to simply, in, in light of this idea of this joy that is rooted deep in our souls, just look very briefly together And then we're going to partake in communion and sing a bit more. But just briefly together, I want us to look at two different passages of Scripture. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah was a a prophet uh, during a very, very difficult time uh, in Israel. It was divided into multiple kingdoms. There was tons of idolatry and, and sin and, and just uh, an outright turning against God and against his law. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we, we read uh, about the call of Isaiah to be a, a spokesman, a mouthpiece for God. And it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, who died from leprosy, by the way, as a judgment from God, says that in the, king, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Let's actually turn there first and just look at that a, a, bit, more, a bit more to help give us a little bit of context. He says, I, I saw the Lord. And then he sees this incredible vision of the holiness of God. And then in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet says, I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, their blind and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Essentially, God is saying to the prophet Isaiah, you're going to go and and you're going to pronounce judgment on my people and they are going to remain hardened. It's actually going to harden their hearts, not soften their hearts towards me. And then you have chapter after chapter after chapter of Isaiah pronouncing judgment, not just on Israel, but on all of the surrounding people's as well. But, but here's what I, I want us to see this morning. In the midst of all of this judgment and all of this condemnation for sin, there is this thread of hope and of joy in the midst of it. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 12. This is what the prophet and the other prophets were looking forward to. Listen to the word of the Lord and starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That would be a great thing to just say every once in a while to ourselves, right? We wake up in the morning. My, my joy 
this morning will be drawn from the wells of my salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is a prophecy and anticipation of the coming Messiah. And the prophet says, sing with, with joy, with joy, draw from the well of your salvation for in your midst, for in your midst, O Israel, is the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then 700 years later, from this point, 700 years, Israel goes into exile, is captured by Babylon. They continue in their hardness of heart. And even 700 years ago, when Christ is born into the world, John tells us they still were hard and still turned from him, except for just a small remnant of a handful of people. But 700 years after Isaiah writes these words, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great, everybody say it, joy, joy that will be for all the people. Now let's just pause here. We're going to read the rest of it, but let's pause for a moment. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years ago, said that you will draw joy from the well of your salvation, that in your midst dwells the Holy One of Israel. And of course, we know there are many, many more prophecies about the birth of Christ, the means by which that would come about, the place by which that would come about, and so on and so forth. If you have a good study Bible, there should be a page somewhere in Isaiah that shows you all of the prophecies of Isaiah and the fulfillment of those prophecies and the person and work of Christ. But the prophet is anticipating this joy that would come. You catching that? He is looking forward to a future joy that is coming. And 700 years later, can we just marvel at that this morning? 700 years later, a multitude of angels appear to shepherds in a field in the middle of nowhere. Do you know that shepherds are insignificant? I know that our Lord uses a lot of of shepherd imagery to describe us as deaf, dumb sheep that he leads around. But the role of a shepherd in ancient society was, was a role of irrelevance. It, it was to be a, a person that could not get a better job. So you are out in the field in the middle of the night, keeping watch over sheep, smelling like sheep, stepping in sheep stuff, not the most educated, not the brightest, not the strongest, not the smartest, not the best looking. And in fact, kind of an outcast from society. And, and these shepherds are in the middle of the field and angels, messengers from the Lord, appear to these nobodies. 
and say, I, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angels are announcing that the joy has come, that the root, the substance, the object, the focal point of our joy has come. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is one, I think, of only two or three times in all of the New Testament, or of all of the Gospels, rather, where Christ is referred to as Savior. Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Why is God pleased with you? Nobody's confident? Okay, that's fine. No? Thank you for, thank you for trying though. I appreciate that. He is pleased with with you because of the finished work of Christ. There is no man in whom God is pleased with outside of the finished work of Christ. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. The prophets looked forward to it. The angels announced it in church. It, it is our responsibility to proclaim it. To proclaim it. That is, um, in essence, our, our responsibility to take the message of the gospel that we have received and proclaim this good news of great joy, right? This good news of great joy. Our joy is not to remain hidden, but is to be proclaimed. It is to be proclaimed. There should be something unique about us that even in the midst of trials and difficulties, we seem to have an unshakable sense of certainty and of joy that does not come and go with circumstance. I just remind you that this is not something that you produce. This is a gift given to you by God. It is the gift of joy. It is produced in you by the Spirit And it is rooted in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this Christmas and for the rest of our lives, let, let us proclaim with great joy our salvation. We not, might not be able to speak with very much joy about our circumstances. That's fine. You might be able to praise God for his blessings in your life, and that is wonderful as well. But for all of us, there will always be highs and lows in our lives. But what we have as Christians is the ability to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's, uh, let's pray.
And we're going to sing together and we'll take communion and then we'll close the song one more time. You guys can come forward. Uh, Lord, I, I ask that we would, um, that you would help those who, particularly those who struggle with this aspect of their faith this morning to, um, to understand and experience a bit better the, the joy of their salvation, that, that we together as a, as a church and as a people would fix our eyes on you um, more often and more truly. And that as we behold you and, and your word and, and the gospel itself, that it would produce in us by your spirit an ever-increasing joy. And I, I ask, Lord, that we wouldn't confuse it with um, circumstances. We wouldn't confuse it with temporary happiness and temporary pleasure, but that we would be aware of this feeling of joy that is in our souls that cannot be taken and cannot be shaken because it, it is you working in us. And so make us aware of that, Lord, we ask. Keep us, we ask, as you said you would. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.